This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 7th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. A proposed federal rule that aims to reduce conflicts of interest among brokers who are both advising you and selling you. Thea Knight discusses the proposed rule and what it might mean for your retirement. that has been proposed by the Department of Labor, um, who has oversight over ERISA, which um, is pension plans and retirement accounts. So there's a little bit of an overlap with their jurisdiction here um, with the Securities and Exchange Commission, who oversees investments in securities. Um, Obviously, pension and and retirement funds are invested in securities, so there's concurrent jurisdiction on some of these issues. DOL has come out with this rule, and there's a possibility the SEC will also come out with its own rule. Um, but this would require brokers to act uh, to conform to a fiduciary duty standard when recommending different securities for purchase by their clients. So currently, they are under a suitability standard, which means that they can only recommend products that are suitable for their clients. Um, this would raise the bar a little bit. I think the concern is that um, there are certain payment and compensation structures for brokers. I think a lot of people know brokers oftentimes work on commission. So if they sell you a product, they get paid for selling you that product. And there are different compensation structures for different securities that they can sell you or different funds. And the concern is that they might sell you something where they get a better commission payment, but it might not be the best purchase for you. Um, So, you know, there's, I think that that concern in some ways you can understand where people are coming from, saying that, well, you know, when I get recommendations from my broker, I want I want only the best product. But I think, honestly, if we think about brokers as not necessarily advisors, but people who are selling you things, I think we all understand that when somebody is selling you something, they have an ulterior motive. Um, if you think of another product that a lot of us buy that is um, confusing to many of us, you think about cars. We all know when we go buy a car, the car salesman has works on commission and has a motive to sell us the most expensive car possible, um, the one with the most upgrades. And what we tend to do is we do some of our own research, but we still get value from some of the advice that the car salesman gives you um, because that person is going to be more familiar with the different products and features. But we take that information with a grain of salt. Um, So you know, if you go in to buy a minivan, you're not going to walk away with a sports car generally. And if you do, it's kind of because you made the choice that you wanted a sports car, not a minivan. Um, So I think that if people know that their uh, brokers are working on commission, some of this concern goes away. So we all make trade-offs when we buy products, but uh, you're saying we need to just keep in mind that brokers do make money. Aren't there brokers out there who work for you they're, that are fee-based, you pay them, and they have no interest in, in the products you buy? There are investment advisors who do work that way, and they're um, people who can sell you products, and they usually charge a commission, uh, they charge a, a percentage of the assets under management. And for wealthier individuals, that's often the uh, what they choose to do. They tend to have more complex portfolios and require more complicated advice and more advice. Um, and so that makes sense for them. The thing is that if we're talking about smaller scale investors, and smaller scale investors means, in general, the majority of Americans, um, 
that pricing doesn't work. And you would actually wind up paying more for that kind of advice than you would pay for the commission service that people have today. Um, so one of the concerns is that if this rule were implemented, um, there are a lot of people who just stop serving the smaller scale clients and would only serve the larger wealthier clients. Um, so, uh, and you know, some of the question is, well, how hard is it to just conform to this fiduciary duty standard? Aren't people doing it already just out of the goodness of their hearts? And the truth is, some brokers do. Um, but the thing is, once you make something a legal requirement, it adds a lot of complexity and cost that, you know, I tomorrow could come in and say, I'm going to do everything on a fiduciary duty standard. And that, in terms of compliance, costs me nothing. I just made that decision. Um, and that's just in my head and how I'm going to operate. Once you have a regulatory requirement, um, part of this rule inquire, requires certain uh, compliance activities on the part of the brokers, um, certain disclosures. And that all costs money. And it also exposes them to liability, because once you have some sort of legal standard, um, any deviation from that standard, even if it's slight, can expose you to liability. And even if you don't deviate from the standard, um, if somebody's unhappy with the advice that they got, that's another uh, you know rung in the ladder in toward litigation um, that they can use to try. And even if you are found to be, have acted in their best interest, you have to incur the legal expense to defend yourself and to prove uh, to a judge that, yes, you did act in their best interest. Now, we're talking about people making investments in IRAs, in 401ks, and other uh, retirement, tax-advantaged retirement savings vehicles. And the investments that are available, nobody knows everything about them. And it's, it's impossible, I would think, for people to avoid, on occasion, getting bad advice through no one's fault. The analogy to the car buying might s still work here, which is that you don't know everything about these products, but you have some idea of um, what kind of product you want. And that's not very difficult research to do online or um, you know, through a number of books, finding out basic information about you know, the difference between a 401k and an IRA or a mutual fund. Um, there are a lot of products geared toward lay people and understanding the general contours of those products. Um, and in that case, understanding the specifics about this mutual fund versus this other mutual fund, that's where the advice of one of these brokers can actually be valuable. And even if they're working on commission, they can still tell you the features. They're not allowed to lie, right? So even if we don't have this fiduciary duty rule, they can't go out and lie to you about it. That would be fraud, and we have laws against that already. This is a regulatory rule, so it's going through the normal regulatory process. There are comment periods. What are people saying about this? Who's complaining about it and who's defending it? There are actually a lot of people complaining about it, including a lot of, I mean, a lot of Republicans, but also a lot of Democrats. Um, there is widespread concern that this is going to limit the options of lower income and especially lower income minority investors. Um, so you're actually seeing a number of Democrats are very skeptical of this rule because of these concerns. What does the Council of Economic Advisors have to say about this 
this rule or the, the what this rule is attempting to protect us against? They had a study that came out over the summer that uh, they found and concluded that it was costing American investors $17 billion a year um, in this conflicted advice, which is advice where the brokers um, may have financial incentives that would uh, suggest that would incentivize them to recommend products that were not the best product for their client. So suitable, but not the best. Um, there are some problems with that study. One thing is that it doesn't look at what would happen if this advice went away. So, um, you know, as I said earlier, the concern is that if this, if people aren't able to get advice on a commission basis, the brokers won't want to won't want to provide advice to these uh, lower level investors. Um, and one thing that investors do that is very bad for them is they react badly to market information. So they hear, oh, the stock market's going down. We had a few plunges recently due to uh, things going on in China. And people run out and say, oh, I have to sell all my securities. And of course, that's the worst time to sell them. Um, you're selling uh, at, when they're low. You're going to buy high. This is very bad. Um, this is a point where human interaction can be very important, um, where somebody might call their broker and say, I want to sell it all. And the broker can say, no, 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 no. This is a terrible time for you to sell, um, and have a conversation with the person and talk them off the ledge. And the alternative for a lot of people um, who might not be able to get advice from a human are what are now being called robo-advisors. So these are algorithms that have been developed to provide the optimal solution for people. So you go in um, online, a lot of the major funds have these, um, and you say, here's my situation, here's how old I am, here's the kind of money I have, and they put together a por portfolio for you that is good for you. There's nothing wrong with these robo-advisors. Um, you know, they they can provide a service. They can do this very efficiently. Um, and if you're a very rational person who just wants, you know, what is the best option for me, and you're going to put your money there and stick with it, a robo-advisor might actually be a very good option for you. But there are a lot of people um, who get a qualitative benefit from the human touch, where getting a text message from your robo-advisor saying, oh, the market's going down, but it's a bad idea to sell, is not going to have the same impact as talking to you know, Jim, your broker, whom you know personally, whom you've met, um, and who you feel knows your situation. Um, and in some ways, maybe that's irrational, but people are irrational, and we respond positively to this human interaction. And that's something that the rule seems to ignore, is this intangible benefit um, that, you know, isn't measured in a $17 billion number um, that people get. So. While there may be some people who make decisions based on conflicted advice that's not the best decision for them, that $17 billion number is actually somewhat suspicious to me. Um, and actually, uh, an economist recently testified, um, Robert Litton testified before the Senate earlier this year. Uh, he estimates that it would actually, the rule itself, if we implemented this new rule, it would cost people $80 billion. Thea Knight is Associate Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. Read more of her work at Cato.org.